that David wrote to God. Uh, we'll go over a little bit of review very quickly this morning. So a quick review from last week, 2 Samuel chapter 22. We started out by talking about the setting of the song. Uh, the song was written to the Lord. Uh, it was written by David when he was uh, delivered from all his enemies and when he was delivered from the hand of Saul. So this was uh, later on in his life when things were kind of settled in his kingdom after all his victories were won. He agrees. Uh, so we start out, the content of the song starts in verse 2. Uh, the first point that we brought up is that God is a saving God. We talked about how salvation can mean a number of different terms in the Bible. And then probably from David's perspective, he was thinking of God as a God of salvation, as God has given him physical deliverance from his enemies. Uh, now, we would say that God is a saving God in many ways, and we would definitely say that God is a saving God in giving us salvation from our sins. God is a saving God in giving us salvation in saving us from the power of our sin in our lives as we're sanctified uh, every day and we're growing more and more like Christ each and every day. And God is a saving God as he will save us in the future as he saves us from the presence of sin and our glorification as he, uh, when he returns or when we die and we go to be with the Lord, that someday that would be part of our salvation also. So that's all true of God, that God is a God of salvation. Uh, we talked a lot about God's character. We talked, and I'm not going to go through each of these points here. You can look at them on your own, but we talked about that David expressed God's character and oftentimes in this passage here in ways that you think of as David's thinking of a God as a God who saves from a physical enemy using some very uh, military-like uh, analogies as God is a rock, as a, a strong place, a fortress, a deliverer, a shield, different imagery like that that God is a God of salvation in that respect. And so David's giving praise to God for his character. He also gives praise to God for his actions, that he did save David from violence and from his enemies. And that um, we saw David see God's faithfulness in saving him, and we can trust in God's faithfulness in our lives, that God is a God who saves us and, and keeps his word, that as we put our trust in him and our faith in him, that he's a God who saves us, and as we look in circumstances in our life, that maybe God won't take us out of those circumstances, but God will definitely be faithful and help us to do what's right and to rely on him through those circumstances. So then if we look at point three, which is on the second page, that God hears our distress. Um, David talked about how he was in distress, that the waves of sin were around him, the floods of distress, the, the, the signs of death were around him. And that his only solution was to call out to God, that he cried out in his distress. He called out to God, and that God heard him. And we said that this is true of God, that we have a God who listens, a God who hears when we cry out. And um, we, especially in the church age, we have the, not only the command, but the privilege to go to God uh, and, and talk directly to him and to express our concerns, to ex express our thoughts and our feelings to him and we know that God knows all that's going on in our life he knows everything, he's omniscient and even though he knows all these things he wants us to come to him and lay our burdens at his feet and 
he will listen to us. And we even have a God, as we looked in Hebrews 4 last week, the God that knows our our weaknesses, he knows our temptations, he knows the trials we're going through, and that he's ready to give us grace. And he wants to do that for us. And that we can come before his throne and and share our needs and our concerns with him, and he's ready to give out that grace to us and help us in that time of need. And again, he may not take away those trials and circumstances because that's one of the methods that God uses to grow us is to put us through trials, through temptations, and to refine us in that way. But he's going to give us the grace that we need to get through those things. And he will be there to help us grow through those things and become more Christ-like in them And that we have a God who listens to us and cares about what's going on in our life. And so God hears our distress and he responds to them in a way that uh, shows that God loves us and cares for us. So if you weren't here and you have notes, I should... I was going to do this, and I forgot to do this. I'm going to give you the points for 1, 2, and 3, just so you have them. I don't know if Ted's, Ted's not back yet. I'll leave him up here. Do you have to help him? The setting of the song is point 1. Number 2, God is a saving God. I'll get out of the way if you can't see through me. My parents were not glassmakers. Dad was a tool and die maker. They are not made out of glass; they're made out of steel. So, I'm, my dad was a steel maker, so I made out of steel. I guess I don't know. So those are the first three points. If you weren't here last week and you needed to fill those in, and there's Ted. Yay, Ted! I turned one too many pages. I was on point five. So point four. As we read on, we're starting in verse 8 this morning. Let me have a volunteer to read. Nathan was complaining last week I didn't call on him, and I promised him that it... Okay, Nathan was making the comment I didn't call on him last week. Okay, so I'm going to call on him right away so I don't get the comment. And, huh? Okay, still good to hear it. But look at this. I got really good candy this week. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. The channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So here, I think the point of what David is saying in this part of the passage is that God avenges his people. He starts off by talking about natural phenomenon here. He says, The earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken. So these are kind of what you might think of as natural phenomenons, earthquake-type things. And of course, I think this is poetic. I don't think this 
David's talking about really these things actually happening here. But the imagery is that God took action. Because remember, the previous to this, what he's talking about is that God heard from heaven David's distress. And the idea is that God acted in, in a super and mighty way. That his actions caused these natural phenomena to happen. That his actions caused something. That all of a sudden, these things happen. These, these, these mighty acts happen. That God acted swiftly. And God acted in an impressive way. And that God didn't wait on this. God didn't didn't say, "Well, I'll get to it later, David, when I feel like it. I heard you." But you know, you're kind of whiny, David. I don't don't think I need to deal with this right now. No, God God took serious action on this. He he responded quickly to David's call of help, and God took David seriously and and made an immediate response. And this response was a mighty response that it caused these things to happen in earth and heaven here. Um, and the foundation of heaven, this could, be, this could be heaven where God is. This could be heaven, the skies. So this could be a number of different heavens here. Um, but that God took action when David's, David's cry was purposeful and it was immediate that God responded. So there's a natural phenomenon, but there was a supernatural cause. And the cause here was that it was because of God's anger against what unrighteous people were doing to his righteous servant, David. David was trying to follow God and do what's right. He was in distress because wicked people were doing wicked things to David, and this caused God to be angry at the wickedness of men against his righteous servant. Um, one of the first things that said here is, uh, smoke went up from his nostrils. And this is a common imagery in the Hebrew writing, the, the idea of uh, the fire of the nostrils. This, this represents a deep anger. And you see this over and over when you read through uh, the Hebrew writings. This is this is kind of a common imagery, the, the flaring of the nostrils type of idea, the fire of the nostrils. That's that's you see this a lot whenever we see somebody talking about deep anger in Hebrew, it's probably literally the fire of the nostrils. That's the idea. And this time of God here, this the smoke went up from his nostrils, that he was he was deeply angry at what was going on here with David, that these unrighteous people were harassing and, and distressing David because David was trying to do what was right and God is ready to avenge his servant. Uh, and it talks about devouring fire from his mouth and coals were kindled in this fire. And it's the whole idea of the fiery anger of God. Again, more poetic imagery here that God's anger was kindled because the unrighteous were persecuting the righteous. You know, and God's God's looking at this and saying that he's going to avenge his righteous servant. He's going to take action because of the unrighteousness of these people going against what David was doing. David was trying to righteously follow God and do what's right. And God's going to take action because David cried out to him. And God does not, de not, does not delight in sin. And he doesn't allow sin to go unpunished. And we look around and we may, may see sinful people and unrighteous people and it looks like they're prospering and they're getting away with sin and they're, you know, why, why are they rich and why are they powerful and why are they famous and why is everything going right for them? Well, we need to remember God's a righteous God and that that's not going to go unpunished. He doesn't let sin just go on and on and on and on. And they may, it may look like for right now that they're getting away with things, but they're going to have to stand before a righteous God at some point in time. Their sin will find them out. And David's reporting in this case, you know, he cried out to God and God's ready to act at this point. And David still had to go through those distresses. David still had to be surrounded by the, 
the sorrows of Sheol. He still had to be in the snares of death. He still had to go through the persecution. He still had to wander in the wilderness. He still had to flee Saul. There was still a time where Saul was still in charge and David was still fleeing from him. So God's judgment didn't come right away necessarily. But his judgment came eventually on Saul and his unrighteousness. And so David's talking, you know, I cried out to God and, and God moved. God avenged me. And then we see a divine response. And this again, the pastor here, he talks about he bowed the heavens. Uh, he came down and bowed the heavens. He came down with darkness under his feet. He rode a cherub and flew. He made dark canopies around him. Uh, again, a lot, lot of poetic imagery about God coming down from heaven and intervening in David's case here. Uh, and, and personally taking an interest in what's going on in David's life. It wasn't that he stood afar off and said, well, you know, things will work themselves out. Um, you know, maybe I'll send an angel to help him out later. No, God directly involved himself in what was going on in David's life. God cared enough about David and his situation and what uh, he was going through that he stepped in. And even though David's talking poetically, he knows that God was the one who had his hand and taking care of the distress that David was going through. One of the things he says here, he thundered from heaven, and, and I think, well, David's speaking poetically, this actually did happen once in our passage that we know of in 1 Samuel seven ten. God literally thundered against the Philistines on behalf of Israel in the battle. So we know that even though this might be poetic, it actually did happen for, in real life here. Um, talks about he sent arrows and lightning in this passage. So the, the arrows, I don't know if God actually sent real arrows from heaven. He may have sent lightning at different times against people. Um, and that talks about he moved the sea, he uncovered the floor of the sea. That's what it means by he, uh, the foundations of the world were uncovered. I don't think God removed the sea and uncovered the foundations, but David's saying that God moved in a mighty way to help him. That he's seen God's hand moving to help his situation out. And David understands that it was God's response against his enemies that helped him when he cried out to God, that God was the one who came in and, and directed his wrath against his enemies. And I think that looking at this, God responded to David's cry for help. Uh, we will see this later that, is because of da that this is because David sought to live his life in a righteous manner and honor God, that God comes to David's defense. And, you know, this is the key point here. It's because of David's, David's following after God. David's trying to live his life for God. Now, we know David didn't do that perfectly. We've been through First and Second Samuel. We've seen David struggle with sin at different times. He wasn't perfect. But David overall was seeking to please and honor God in his life. He was seeking to follow after God. He was seeking to do what's right. And when he was confronted with his sin, he seeked to deal with it in a right manner. And, and David's lifestyle was one that he was seeking to follow after God. And because of that, when the unrighteous were persecuting David and David cried out to God for help, God was willing to help him out. Um, because he was living in a righteous manner under God, that God comes to David's defense. And we have trusted Christ as our Savior, have his righteousness. I think that's an important thing. You know, in the Old Testament, there's this covenant that God makes a covenant with Israel. If you're living for me and you're following my commandments... I'm going to fight for you. But if you turn after other gods, if you follow after the ways of other nations, I'm going to send all these curses and these nations after you and destroy you. And there was this covenant that they had to do what was right 
or else they were going to have these penalties. They're going to have these these nations come after them and destroy them. We're in the age of grace. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you have Christ's righteousness. And now I, I believe that you know, God still he uh, chastises his his son who he loves. So if you're sinning, you're going to have consequences for your sins. So I I believe that, but we have Christ's righteousness. So that's that's a little bit different. That you're always his son. God's not ever utterly going to destroy you like he destroyed Israel at times. And God's never going to leave you or forsake you. You may have to deal with the consequences of your sin. You may have some uh, consequences because you've turned away from God in your life the way you live, but you're always his son. You always have Christ's righteousness if you trusted him as Savior. And so you have that blessing that you can cry out to God even if you've been living your life away from God, you can cry out to God, come back to him, and you always have that relationship with God because you have trusted him as Savior. Because of that point in time decision. So that's a little bit different than with Israel. David was living a life for God, and because he was doing that, he had that blessing from God. If David wasn't doing that, I don't think he could have cried out to God in the Old Testament, and God would have heard him. New Testament... It's a little different because of what Christ has done for us and because of the saving grace that we have by faith in him. So, so a little bit different there for us because we have his righteousness if we've trusted him as our savior. Does that kind of make sense? Any thoughts, questions? I said after each of these points because they're a little, it's a little different lesson here. I'm going to give you guys opportunity to share any thoughts you might have. Any questions? Is the volume okay? I know we, we hooked up the speakers. Is that helping? I know some people said they've had a little trouble hearing. I know with the air conditioner, we want to keep it cool in here, but we want to make sure everybody hears. So, good. Okay, good. Okay, let's move on to point five. New reader, Joanna. I don't think you read last week. Nathan, do you want to pass the candy back? So I'm going to focus on one of the words here that shows up a couple times. God delivers, excuse me here, he delivers his people. Delivers, that's an R, that's not a V. Excuse me. So God delivers his people. And the first, <clears throat> first sentence here starts out, he sent aid from above. Um, and again, reflecting on, you know, God, or David realizes that God was the one who avenged him, that that came from above. The vengeance from God came, or the vengeance for David came from God. He also realizes that the aid that he had also comes from above. It's not from any earthly aid. It's not from another kingdom. It's not from his soldiers. It's not from his military might. It's not from his strategic mind. But his aid came from God, and he recognizes that. And David is giving glory to God because whatever aid I had, whatever help I had, is coming from God. I recognize that, is what David is saying. So it's not more than just his just earthly aid. It's this heavenly aid that he had from God. Um, 
And he says he took David in. And I, it's not specific here how he took him in, so I, I gave a couple options here. Um, he took David in. God brought David into maybe his house, that David's now part of the household of God. I think that's true. Uh, his family. He took David into his company, his presence maybe. I think all these things are probably, could, David could say, are true of his life, that God brought him in, that, that David... It's part of God's household, part of God's family, part of his company, part of his presence, that David is part of this intimate relationship with God now. And God took him in. Again, the Old Testament relationship here, David's walking with God, and so now he feels close to God. He feels brought in with God. And if you look at like a, a psalm like uh, Psalm 51, you know, that at one point in Psalm 51, David says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, I, I think David... At times, especially when he was walking with God, he really felt the presence of God. And as he's writing the psalm, he probably feels that closeness to God, that, that God is with him, that God is, is in his presence, and that God brought him in. And he's recognizing that and understanding that and has that relationship with God. And so he, he's just reflecting on that. He, he sent aid from above. Um, he brought me in. He took me in. Um, he drew... David out of many waters. We talked about this last week with the idea of the rock, the rock coming out of the waters. And so I think that, that kind of fits what, the, I think you were saying that, Brenner, right? The rock out of the waters. And, and this the idea drew me out of many waters. Again, it's a little poetic, but waters often represent danger. I don't know if the Hebrews didn't know how to swim or whatever, but they use water a lot of ways like this. Um, but the water is a danger, and, and to draw somebody out of the water, they're drowning, and God drew them out of the water, pulled them out of the water. Uh, and saved him. It's, it's this poetic idea. And God drew David out of that danger, out of those dangerous waters, and placed him in a safe place. And that's kind of the idea of what David is saying here. Uh, and he delivered David from a strong enemy. And, and David describes a strong enemy. Uh, this is a strong enemy who hated David. Now, who could this be? Well, there are a lot of people who hated David. I mean, you, you go through this. Yeah, Philistines hated David. Saul hated David. Some of Saul's descendants hated David. Some of Saul's not descendants, but people in his tribe hated David, threw stones at him, kicked up dirt at him. I mean, there are a lot of, you can make a long list of people who hated David. So David could be talking about a large number of people. There are many who hated him. Uh, a strong enemy that was too strong for David. There are many times in his life David was outnumbered and outgunned by his enemies. Uh, it started out when Saul was his enemy. Saul was the king. Saul had the armies of Israel. David had his 600 men. He was outmanned and outgunned by Saul for many, many years. When his son Absalom was after him, Absalom had taken all the armies of Israel. David was back to his band of 600 guys again and was, again, outgunned by them. And remember the, the advice of uh, David's former advisor and Absalom's advisor was, take your army and go get David right now. Don't hesitate. And that would have probably destroyed David. David was outgunned many times by his enemies. Um, he also says that they confronted David when he was weakest. They confronted me in the days of my calamity. And that's the idea that in my calamity, I was weak. I, I didn't have the strength to deal with them. I, they confronted me when I was weakest. Weakest. And often David faced enemies in the wilderness or on the run where he didn't have support, he didn't have uh, the ability to 
defend himself or the ability to really be in a strong place against his enemy. And he was often confronted by his enemy in bad positions or when he was weak. But yet God delivered him out of all these situations. And David recognizes that, that militarily and from a human standpoint, there were many, many times I should not have survived these battles. I should not have lived. I mean, if you want to think, what was his first battle? His first battle was against Goliath, teenage boy versus a nine-foot giant who was trained to be a military monster. And what did David say? I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who you defiled. You know, he, he knows who protected him and who gave him the victory, who delivered him in those battles. And David goes on to say, God supported me. God supported David. And David depended on God. God sustained him through these times. And David recognizes that and gives God the glory for that. You were the one who sustained me. You were the one who supported me. It wasn't my generals. It wasn't my, my complete awesome military strategy I came up with. It wasn't you know, our technologically advanced weapons that we had that were our enemies. No, it was God who supported him through these times. And he brought David to a broad place. Um, the idea of broad place is like a place of pasture. It's a place that, you know, you take your sheep out and they have plenty of place to roam and eat and there's, you know, you can kind of see all around and you can watch for wolves or whatever animals that would eat the sheep because you can see all, you can see for miles so you can see the enemy approaching. It's a, it's a safe place. It's a peaceful place. It's a place of blessing. It's a place of pasture where there's, there's plenty of food there. And David said, you brought me that place, a broad place where I can just sit and graze and I can rest and have peace and have plenty to eat. It's this broad place you brought me to. That I'm safe. That there's no enemies. There's just food and there's a place to graze and, and, and roam around and rest. And why did he do that? Because he delighted in David. And David found that this was the basis for God's deliverance was, was, uh, in his life was that God found delight in him. Now that's an interesting concept there because I had to stop when I, when I read that. God delighted in David. But think about that. The God of the universe, the God who created all things, the God who created David, he put him there. And think of this. This is the David who sinned with Bathsheba. This is the David who... It was a man of war that God said, you can't build the temple because you're a man of war, you're a bloody man. Um, this is the guy who, who made plenty of mistakes in his life. But God said, David says, I, you protected me and defended me because you found delight in me. God can find delight in David. You know what? God can find delight in us too. I want to, before we read that final there. I want to go down to those passages at the bottom of your page there. Let's read a couple of those because I think God can find delight in us too. And I think that's true of us. Uh, a couple of readers, who would like to read? Miriam. Why don't you read 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9. So this is a familiar passage, at least the first part of this. Um, we talk about this a lot. We use this a lot at funerals, talking about that, um, you know, 
Paul's talking here that we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So while we're here, he's basically saying while we're here in our body, we're not with the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. And then he says we're confident yes, to be well-pleasing, to be rather, to be absent from the body. That means when we're out of this body, then we're present with the Lord. And we say that, well, that's a great blessing, that those that have died, they're not in the body anymore. They're present with the Lord. And then we look at verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether to be present or absent, whether we're in the body or out of the body, to be what? To be well-pleasing to the Lord. So guess what that says? We can be well-pleasing to the Lord. How do we be well-pleasing to the Lord? When we live the way he wants us to live. So when we're obeying his commands and doing what he wants us to be doing, we can please the Lord. And you can go around saying, you know what? God is pleased with what I'm doing. God is pleased with how I'm living. God is pleased with me. The God of the universe is happy about the way I'm living. It sounds, it sounds kind of prideful to say it that way, but that's what the Bible is saying. You can be well-pleasing to God. He can be pleased with you. And that's amazing. Uh, Colossians 1, 9, and 10. Josiah, go ahead. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you know the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there, uh, here's Paul's prayer for the church here. That he does not cease to pray, cease to pray for you, that to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you know what his will is uh, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you know his will with all the spiritual knowledge that God would give you in all understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord that you may walk in the way that is worthy of how God's called you worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him so you can walk in a way that is fully pleasing to God that everything that you do pleases God and that you'd be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, that you'd be fruitful in the things that you're doing, and that you'd increase in knowing who God is and what his will is for you. So you can be pleasing to God in the way you live. In fact, you can be fully pleasing to God in everything that you do. And that's what Paul's praying, that you, us, we would be fully pleasing to God in all our ways and how we live. And we can please God. First Thessalonians 4 1. Matt. Finally, then, brethren, we will to exhort the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk into the So, Paul is telling the Thessalonians that they should abound, they should uh, increase, they should overflow more and more. And he's saying, just as you received from us, so just as we've told you how you ought to walk and how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. So the way you walk and the way you ought to please God. And Paul's saying, we've told you how to do this, how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. So Paul's saying, we instructed you on this. Just follow what we instructed you and you'll know how you ought to walk before God and how you ought to please him. And you can learn how to please God. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Janet.
So here, uh, this is at the end of Hebrews. Um, it's kind of the, the benediction here. The author of Hebrews is saying, may the God of peace, who brought the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, he, he's telling you, this is what he wants you to do. May he make you complete in every good work. May he make, make you complete to do every good work, to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing. So as God works in you, that he would work what would please him. And so it's not just you working hard to do it, but God also working to make you pleasing in his sight, well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So as God works in you and as he develops you and as he makes you more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, that he's working in those things that actually please him. And so God's helping you to do that. And as you grow more like Christ and as God works in you, you become pleasing to him. Now, 1 John 3.22. One more reader. Abigail. And here, for, uh, here John is uh, uh, relating this to prayer that if we ask from him, we'll receive from him when we are keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. So there's this idea that as we're keeping his commandments and we are able to do the things that are pleasing in his sight, so that there is this expectation that we can, as we're living for him, be pleasing to God as we're living for him. So, you see... You can please God. He can have joy in seeing the way you live when you're doing what's right and you're walking in his ways. Wow. Yeah. The God of the universe can look at you and say, well, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with you, Ed. God can say that about you as you're doing what's right. Uh, to me, that's just an amazing thought. That it's not just... Uh, and I, I think, you know, I, I remember kids in my my school when I was younger and they would they would always joke about that, you know, God's like this mean ogre swing to punish you. No, God's looking for people that please him. God's looking for people that you can look down and say, I'm pleased with that person. They're doing what's right. They please me. And David in this psalm is talking about that God delivered him and he says right at the end of that section of verses that we just read here, He delivered me because he delighted in me. Because David was trying to do what God wanted him to do. Because David was trying to obey God's commandments. Because David was trying to live for God and do what was right. And I'm going back to that little blurb that I have at the bottom there. God's deliverance of David seems to hinge on the last verse that God delighted in David. Next several verses describe how David pleased the Lord. Unless you think this is somehow an Old Testament idea, the New Testament tells us how we should uh, seek, that should be seek, I left the K off, to live lives that please the Lord. And so... I think that this is a New Testament concept, too, that as we walk in God's ways, uh, we can seek to please God, and that he can be pleased with the way we live. So any thoughts on that? Any questions, concerns, comments? i got about 10 minutes to 12 here, so I'm going to try one more point, and then we'll stop there for the morning. So verses 21 through 25. Jonathan. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. 
and I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of his eyes. So, number six here, have God rewards the righteous. And so, letter A, they have God rewarded, recompensed David. Now, I always find it interesting when you see in your translation two words that seem very similar but are different words there, and why are those two words used? So, of course, I want to look them up. Um, So, reward, um, the idea of reward is to deal fully or adequately. It could have a meaning to ripen. Um, And then you have the word recompense, Recompense. The idea of recompense is to turn back or return. So reward kind of has the idea of that as you do something, that this is the result, the ripening, the the that as you do this, this is the end result. You get the reward. Recompense is kind of the idea of. Um, that as something is taken away from you and unfairly that it is given back to you as a result of you deserving to get it back. Does that kind of make sense? So reward is like um, I went out and mowed the lawn and as a result my parents gave me three dollars because that's my reward for each week mowing the lawn. Um, recompense would be like um, I went out and mowed the lawn my brother said he did it so he got the three dollars and I went in and said no wait I did that and my parents said oh wait we're going to take the three dollars back from my brother and give it to you that's the recompense because he took the three dollars instead of you getting it so you're supposed to get it back so that's more of a recompense that's not a perfect example but that's kind of the idea where uh, you got something back that you somebody else took away from you that you were supposed to get. So that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the thought behind those two things. Um, the two words, they're, they're kind of very similar where one, God is giving David something for what he's done. The other one is God is fixing something that was taken away from David that he maybe deserved and now he's giving back to David. Um, so uh, so why did God do this? Why did God reward? Why did, why did God recompense David? And a couple of things that were said in this passage. Uh, according to his righteousness, David says that twice in this passage, that God rewarded or recompensed David twice according to his righteousness. So because David was righteous, God is rewarding him. Uh, according to the cleanness of his hands, because his hands were clean. That's kind of, uh, you know, we, we have the phrase, you get caught red-handed. That's the idea your hands aren't clean, that you're guilty. So the cleanness of the hands is kind of the idea that you're not guilty. You, I, I wasn't guilty of anything, so my cleanness of my hands shows that I'm not guilty, therefore I'm rewarded. Um, and then three, according to the cleanness in God's eyes, that this is not the idea of David's cleanness, but because God has seen David as clean, because God has seen no guilt in David, that David is rewarded. And David gives his testimony. What is David's testimony? He has kept the ways of the Lord. That David says, because I have kept the ways of the Lord, because I have followed the ways of the Lord. He did not wickedly depart from his God. He was blameless before God, and he kept himself from iniquity. This is why God has rewarded him. 
And how has he done this? Because God's judgments were before him. Now remember, God's judgments here probably refers to the word of God, that David was reflecting and pondering on the words of God. If you look at like Psalm 119, judgments is used often to refer to the word of God in that passage. So David here, when he's talking about God's judgment, is probably talking about the word of God that he contemplated and was relying on the word of God to keep him on the straight and narrow path, so to speak. And another term that he used, he did not depart from God's statutes. Again, another term to refer to God's word as David knew it. So David's source of strength was to go back to the word of God, to dwell on it, to follow it, to know it, to meditate on it. And that's what's his source of strength to do what's right. So let me comment on this. So, and I do have soul with the uh, three dots there. Was David as perfect in his life as these verses make him sound? And we would say, no. Especially, I look at number two, B2 there. He did not depart wickedly from his God. We would say, well, we've read Second Samuel. You did depart wickedly on a number of occasions. How can you say that you didn't depart wickedly? So are these verses true? Well, yes, they're true because David wrote them and they're in the Bible. So they have to be true. Okay, so how do we reconcile them? We need to look at the overall intent and direction of David's life. Yes, he sinned. And I point out that all men do. Uh, the scripture tells us that. But he dealt with the sin biblically and, and overall sought the Lord and sought to live by the Lord's commands in his life. This is not much different than how God wants us to live the Christian life. We need to be seeking the Lord to know his will for us, to be living how he commands us to live. And when we sin, we need to deal with it promptly and biblically. So my question is not, are you perfect? Have you never wickedly departed from the Lord? Have you always perfectly kept the ways of the Lord? Have you always been perfectly blameless before the Lord? Have you always perfectly kept yourself from iniquity? But is the overall style of your life, your lifestyle but that, and when you have sin, are you dealing with it biblically and honestly and promptly before God taking care of it, keeping short accounts and getting your life right with God and getting back on the right track? Because I think that's what David is talking about here is that yes, he's a man, he's sinned and made mistakes but overall he's living his life as best he can for God and when he, he fails to do that he's making things right dealing with it and moving forward and trying to get his life back on track with God. And God sees that and he's accounting that as, yes, David is living righteously for him. And so I think that's what David is talking about here. Not that, hey, look at me, I'm perfect. You can't poke any holes in my testimony. And we can say, yes, we can. But that, hey, I am overall living my life for God and seeking him out and trying to walk in the right way for God. And that we would say, well, yes, yes, David, you were. You know, and yes, you made some mistakes, but overall, you were a man who sought after God and tried to live for God and did your best. And when you did fail, you were contrite. You sought the Lord's forgiveness. You sought to make your life right with God and get back on the right track. And that's a good example for us. So, again, any thoughts, questions, comments? Gabriel. I'd have to look at this a lot more to really think about um, 
obviously very poetic uh, kind of repetition, but I was wondering if there's maybe even like chiasm going on here, where beginning and ending with the uh, righteousness, mm -hmm. and um, then there's that his blameless behavior in uh, the end of 21 and the end of 24, and then the uh, lack of abandoning God's rule in 23 and 22, uh, I have not rebelled against my God. And so it's kind of uh, starting with righteousness and digressing and then ascending again back to righteousness. So I don't know what the significance of that would be, but it's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I, I can kind of see that as you're bringing that up. That'd be something to look into. Even though he's, he uh, has the cleanness of his hands in 21, and then according to cleanness in God's eyes in 25, that's interesting there. That's a good thought. You should do a little research on that. Come back to me. So <laughs> fun. Anyone else? Wait. I like how he uses uh, things we can relate with the hands and the eyes. Yeah. yeah, that's good. It's um, the Hebrew Hebrew poetry. A lot of times would uh, use some very common things to help out. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of ways the Hebrews were very childish, and not, not in a bad way, but uh, they, they they weren't very complex. They're very very simple things in uh, much of the ways they wrote. Um, and it, it's kind of helpful for us. It, it makes things a little bit simple and very easy for us to look at and go, okay, yeah, I, I can understand that. So um, it's, it's a good observation. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, let's go ahead and we'll close in prayer. Um, Lynn, will you close us in prayer? Sure. Lord, we thank you for today and thank you, Lord, for how you bless us in so many ways. Stop to, to the light of life, right? To the view of the other brand. Or I expected them and guided them. Or selfless, disruptive, or to the people. On the door, find you. What we say, you do. What we say, you do. Amen. Amen. Amen.